How does AI impact eat? How can you use AI to generate content while at the same time retaining your eat principles? I'm your host, David Bain, and that's what we're covering today on the Majestic SEO panel. And without any further ado, let's get the panel to introduce themselves. So starting off with Ian. Hi, everyone. My name is Ian Helms. I'm the director of growth marketing at Q Digital. I'm based in Chicago, um, and we're actually, Q Digital is actually the world's largest LGBTQ plus media site um, or company. We have four different sites under our umbrella, um, including Queerty and LGBTQ Nation, which you all might have heard of, as well as Gay Cities, which is a travel website, and Into. Uh, which is geared toward Gen Z and millennials. Superb. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ian. And also with us is Ed. Hi, everyone. I'm Ed Zabrinsky. I'm the SEO and Content Manager at Swoop Funding. We're a uh, SaaS-based finance broker with offices around the world. I work on the international SEO side of things, so working in England, Australia, the US, Canada, as well as recently South Africa. We're continuously growing at a fast pace and it's a really exciting time for the business. Lovely. Thanks so much, Ed. And also with us is Adelina. Hi, everyone. My name is Adelina. Uh, I'm a team leader, an SEO team leader at Freebie Company, which is a design um, and template supplier. Uh, We have like millions and millions of resources. And uh, we are based here in Spain, in Malaga, where I'm right now. But I'm Romanian myself. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm really glad I could join this uh, debate today. Thank you so much for having me. We're really glad that you can join us as well. Thank you very much, Adelina. And last but not least is Kelby. Hi, I'm Kavi Cardos. Thanks, David, for having me. I'm the director of SEO at Uproar. We're a boutique search marketing focused agency based in uh, the Twin Cities in the U.S., and I'm in Austin, Texas. Lovely. Thanks so much, Kelby. And um, let's stick with Kelby for the initial question. So, Kelby... It seems like a year plus ago that Google were a little bit concerned about um, AI content, about automated content. Um, but um, I guess over the last year or so, the, they've changed their tune a little bit. And as long as the content is good for the reader, then they're happy with AI content. Is, is that right? That's what it sounds like to me. Um, and I agree, about a year ago, they started making some noise about um, you know, be careful of AI content and sort of putting on the, the warning lights for folks who are creating content using AI. Um, and I think since then, they've they've backtracked a bit and realized that, you know, we're not going to be able to stop people from using AI to automate and generate content. We just want to make sure that when that happens, it's good and genuinely helpful and of high quality. So um, if you read the Google search guidelines now, they've they've made some adjustments and it sounds like they're sort of you know, they're saying AI content is okay as long as it is still following the rules of uh, Google's sort of helpful content uh, recommendations in general. So go ahead and use AI to at least help you create your content. Just make sure that it's it's high quality. Ian, AI content's okay? Yeah, I, I'll echo a lot of that. I think my favorite, I think it was John Mueller who tweeted about it, but basically the the perspective that I've taken from all of this is you could pay a content farm anywhere to create content with humans <laughs> behind the behind the keyboard, um, if you will, uh, and it could still be really bad quality, low quality content. Um, and AI 
can also produce a lot of low quality content as well too at scale for even cheaper than you can pay a content farm to create content for. Um, so the important part underlying all of that has always been that it's helpful, that it's quality, that it's adding something to the web that isn't already there. Um, and so I would say that in addition to Google being a proponent for AI content, I would also um, agree with them in, in the quality. Adelina seems to be nodding away there as well. So um, something you agree with as well? Yeah, I do agree with both of them. And actually in the Google gu guidelines, it and I read, it says, rewarding high quality content, however it is produced. So however we create that content, as long as it answers that question and is quality content and um, it provides um, uh, quality for the person, I think, um, Google is just going to reward us. And there's another uh, heading here that says how automation can create helpful content. So yeah, everything points into the direction of Google actually um, interiorizing, maybe we can say the, the what Kathy said about using um, AI and automation, automatization in our content is something that everybody's going to do. So Google has to adjust this time. So Ed, uh, Google has to adjust this time. Is, is, is Google doing this because it's absolutely the right thing to do and it's all about just the quality and relevance of the content and it doesn't matter how it's been produced or is it simply because Google probably couldn't actually tell in the next couple of years whether or not a piece of content has been produced by AI, so they have to make this decision. Yeah, I mean, I think the initial sort of stance on AI content, they almost had to do a bit of damage control in the sense of, as everyone here has touched on, you suddenly had the ability to produce a mass content feed at scale with just a few simple sort of typed into a, a command prompt. Um, I, I do feel like really this is where the sort of experience part of um, EAT really started to come in. Um, and it's no secret that as AI content um, was beginning to surface, suddenly they Google decided to add the extra E onto E. And I sort of see that as an initial bit of damage control to sort of say you can produce content at scale, but if it's not backed up by someone with experience and expertise, it's going to be seen as low quality, whereas that really has started to pivot sort of in the last sort of 12 months, especially. Okay, I'll add to you, I, I think you were getting at it as well, David, but the fact of being able to look at two pieces of content side by side and figure out whether it was written by a human or written by with the help of AI is, depending on what tools you're using, it can be very difficult <laughs> or if it's been edited or not a little bit. And so I think that there is a, a piece that, you know, even with like SEMrush has a plagiarism checker that also has AI detection. Now there's tons of new tools that universities and schools are using to test and check for AI content. I've put both content that I know is written by humans and AI into those and gotten wildly different responses depending on which tool I'm using, how it's um, analyzing what AI necessarily like role it had in, in creating that content. Um, and so I think it is very difficult for humans to figure it out. And so therefore it's difficult for them to train other tools to figure out how to figure it out. <laughs> absolutely. So I mean, Ed, Ed touched on experience as being absolutely key and something that 
Google added on obviously relatively recently to eat. I still want to call it eats. I'm still going to call it eats. I can't say E-E-A-T every single time, can I? Anyway, Kavi, is, is the experience aspect of um, what we're talking about here today absolutely key in distinguishing between AI and, and, and human content? I don't know that it's so instrumental in distinguishing between human AI content. I think it's the, <clears throat> excuse me, it's more about backing up, as Ed said, the content that you're producing, however it's produced um, with that human experience. So I think it's possible to create a piece of content using AI that has been fact-checked or reviewed or whatever by a human on the site. And there are ways to demonstrate that a human was involved in the process at some point other than them actually sitting down and writing the words on the page, right? So whether that means you know, having an author page or a link that says reviewed by this person or something like that, where then you can click through and see what that person's actual human experience is. Um, I think that Google is interested in seeing those signals in addition to what's actually written in that piece of content. So um, yeah, the the experience piece, I, I think does make a huge difference, but not necessarily uh, I don't think that necessarily means it has to be written by the person with the experience, if that makes sense. Understood. Okay. Adelina, is that something you'd um, go with as well? So it's possible, I, I guess, following on from that, to use AI to generate content that also seems to demonstrate experience. And then you could apply an author to that, but you wouldn't necessarily have to have a human to write that content. So um, when it comes to SEO, I'm usually very white hat, but <laughs> I'm going to say something that is very, very black or maybe gray. I don't know. You can actually give the AI tool a role and uh, indicate the, 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 AI, the AI to become that uh, professional person uh, with, I don't know, 20 years of experience in the field and write as an experienced person. And then you can just put the name of a real person that is actually a professional in that field. So in that sense, I think we can we can actually do that. And we can, I mean, um, it is not just about the author description or whatever. It's about a lot of signals. It's about social media and related websites and uh, the content that person has generated over the years online. And I think everyone has a print, a digital print right now. We we are not ghosts anymore, right? And um, I think we can do that to generate great content. Of course, I believe a human has to be behind everything because, uh, well, AI is not perfect um, and it makes a lot of like really, really uh, common mistakes, like things that the AI should know, the, it makes mistakes because... Uh, they search the information, they browse the information on the whole internet, on the whole uh, information is out there, right? And if there is something mistaken, they are going to take that as well. It's They, they are not proof-ridden. Adelina, you said a human needs to be behind everything. Let's dive into what that actually means. I mean, does it mean a, a human has to create a lot of the content? Does it mean they have to actually just... Um, edit the content afterwards? Does it mean that actually you can get AI to create the content and just associate a real human being with that piece of content? Um, shall we stick with you for a second, Adelina? What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, the ideal process in my case is I indicate my tool to create that content. 
I proofread it as a professional. I uh, I don't know. I put all the I add the extra things I want to add, like I don't know links or maybe um, I don't know uh, images, videos, whatever. And then I publish, but me myself, not the AI. So I wouldn't leave this as a one hundred percent AI task. Never in my case. Ed, you gave a brief nod there as well. What would you like to add to that? No, I completely agree. It's absolutely fine to use AI to produce sort of like even the starting point or the bare bones of an article or um, piece of content. But it really is that sort of like last 10%, which is where that eat actually really comes in. Um, it doesn't need to be applied to every piece of content, in my opinion, as there is some stuff that will go onto a website that isn't necessarily serving that sort of higher purpose of giving value or use it is simply web content that could be simply explanationary or like very basic and rudimentary it's only when you start getting into things that are actually serving that sort of purpose of answering a question providing a service giving advice that that's where the eat aspect really comes in for instance if you look at certain websites say like investopedia they have a whole terminology section of their website the likelihood of that being fully produced by humans in its entirety is realistically quite low in the sense of this is just a section that defines what a word means. When you look at that in comparison to, say, investment strategies that actually has that sort of YMYL factor behind it in that the advice that they give could impact someone's uh, financial state and ultimately their well-being, that's when you really need to involve that human element and ultimately have them sign off, proofread, regularly update content so that it can provide that value and also be as factually accurate as possible at all times. Ian, where, where do you want humans to be involved and where, where are you happy to leave it to AI? Well, I think like his, it's important to reflect historically a little bit, right? Like currently people who aren't using AI and folks who are that previously weren't, were likely already using freelancers for writing copy in many cases, especially if you're talking about a C-level person at a company who doesn't have the time or desire to necessarily write a bunch of content, but wants their name on the content. And so these freelancers don't typically have the experience that actually comes with all of the knowledge that they're sharing on behalf of these people that they're that are ultimately putting their name on the piece of content. And I think the same essentially applies when it comes to using AI tools. I think the human piece is really important when it comes to prompting what you want to be created and thinking about not just putting in, write an entire article about this topic and kind of taking it and leaving it. Um, my approach is usually a lot more um, like piece piecemeal, taking like, I need an introduction for a post on this, then I want to have a section on this. I still do a lot of the very hands-on backend research of like, I'll have AI spit out an outline for sure. And it usually does a really good job. But um, I start with the outline. Then I add anything that I feel like is missing. Then I have it flesh out some of the areas a little bit more. And then either myself or somebody else who's an expert in the topic reviews it. Um, and then there's uh, the publishing factor, which also includes what Autolino is saying about adding links, adding images, adding anything else that just makes it not a boring piece of like a giant wall of text um, and gives that extra value when somebody comes onto the site, which I think are a lot more of those EEAT factors. Are you giving me something to look at that makes me 
trust that this is actually like a good piece of content? Are there links for me to explore more that demonstrate that you've talked about this before and show your expertise and authority on a topic? Um, can I trust you by <laughs> looking at the first couple paragraphs and seeing like, is it repeating the same thing multiple times, which AI has a bad habit of, of doing? Um, and, and to build on what Ed was saying as well, too, there's different topics that I think AI does better for. And um, originally when it was released, I think the problem was that it was trained to be more creative than to be factual. And that's what people really took as a mistake and started publishing CNET, I, I think was the big one in the headlines for the most part. But it was publishing these it can write well and it can write confidently, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always accurate. And so for a fashion brand writing a blog about how to wear jeans, you can get creative with that. Like there's, there's rules, but there's not really a be all end all. I can wear a, something that Kavi would never wear, that David would never wear, that Ed would never wear, but it could still be something that you could authoritatively or expertly say you can wear black jeans with a, I don't know, a pink mesh top or whatever, like, <laughs> and, and that's fine. That sounds but, great. Kevin's <laughs> <right? laughs> um, running off to, to uh, <laughs> whatever store. <laughs> Gotta go shopping. Yeah. But when it comes to like nutrition, you probably can't get creative per se. You could get creative with a recipe, but maybe not with saying like, you know, foods that you should eat if you're trying to be healthier um, in a particular way. I always look at panelists nodding heads to see who should be the next one to contribute. And uh, Ian, when you were talking about prompts, the, the, the importance of the quality of the prompts, it was Kavi that was going, yes, absolutely. So yep. Kavi, um, <laughs> how can an SEO uh, produce better quality content with Eaton Mind by doing a better job at the prompts? So I think prompting is one of the uh, most interesting things that has come out of the AI age and the, the advances in AI, um, learning how to prompt the tools and how to interact with the tools has been the biggest difference for me personally. And I know for a lot of people in the SEO community uh, in terms of generating better outputs. So knowing what to put in in order to get out what you are actually looking for is such a huge part of it's a huge skill to learn um, and something that uh, I think all SEOs need to learn if they're going to be using AI in their processes. And that's for creating content. But also if you're using AI for other things like um, coding or, you know, putting together uh, a script or something like that or uh, manipulating a spreadsheet, whatever you're using it for, knowing what to ask for is the most important skill. Um, and I think when we first started out, there were a lot of people just sort of saying, you know, I need an article on how to wear jeans, for example, write me this full article, it should be this many paragraphs, this many words. And I want you to cover these three basic points. Um, I, I think that's a mistake approaching content that way. And I think as Ian said, it makes a lot more sense to have a, a process. So maybe you feed it uh, some ideas and have it generate you an outline, or maybe you have it create one section at a time, but um, interacting with the tool rather than just saying go and then watching it run off on its own is and then you know taking that wholesale and publishing it on your site is i think how we get a lot of these really generic sounding uh repetitive low quality non-factual pieces of content um i like to go back and forth with it quite a bit before actually saying okay this is a finished product now yeah you're creating one section at a time 
Sounds interesting and sounds a good way to actually try and laser and focus on saying something specific instead of giving it too much leeway and asking it to produce a thousand words and, and perhaps, you know, just um, asking it to be strategic instead of actually following your precise plans. Um, and if you are focusing on individual sections, uh, do you try to incorporate elements that may demonstrate authority or trust? Do you ask it to maybe take quotes from different places to uh, try and incorporate within the content? We, we, is that what you do? I think if it feels like that's missing, sure, that's something you can ask for additionally. But um, I mostly use that that back and forth for, I need you to elaborate on this, or this section doesn't feel quite right. Um, this is missing this point. Or mm. uh, can we make sure to make this paragraph sound a little bit more... Um, you know, maybe the tone is off. Uh, we we haven't given enough background here in this section to back up what we're saying. So, uh, yeah, that it's it's taking actually reading what it spits out at you instead of just assuming that it's okay. But reading through each section and saying, you know, this one works, but this one needs a little bit more, um, and then asking for tweaks to individual bits. Ed, what are, what are your thoughts on what you need to include in the prompts? So realistically, I think you have, like um, Gavi said, you have to go through sort of like 10 to 15 prompts realistically before you even get to a point where you have a semi-passable piece of content. Um, as it sort of learns as you're typing and prompting, the more information that you can give, even just saying the things that you like and dislike and almost having that conversation with it to sort of say, this needs to be a bit more conversational in tone, when you reference something like this, we need to include statistics. Ultimately, that is us trying to input, eat into it because you want that quality article that is well-referenced. And we all know that content that features stats, reports, statistics, anything like that is always going to outperform something that doesn't have it, um, obviously, where it's applicable. Um, but realistically, having that sort of um, presence of mind to really go through it, say this section needs rewriting, this needs shortening, this needs lengthening. I do like the approach of taking it piece by piece, but then also adding the um, entirety of the sort of passage, well, each paragraph it's produced, putting that back into the um, the prompt and then saying, ensure that the tone and like is consistent throughout this entire piece. It almost just acts as that final sort of like proofread and final line of defense to say that everything that we've produced here We've got to a certain level of quality and now we are ensuring that there is consistency throughout it all. Um, and I really feel like that's where the context of the information that you are either putting in as you um, start your prompt or if you have a singular prompt window that you continuously use, it has that information and that sort of style that is picked up throughout all your previous prompts and the previous bits of content you've got it to produce. So it really is getting that consistency really drilling down into what you want but then also making sure that there is that flow that you would get with a human copywriter producing the content as well can ai the one, generate the stats yeah i was gonna that's what i was gonna jump in and say the okay. one caveat that i would definitely add for quotes and for stats is you can ask ai tools to give you stats on a particular topic or a quote on a particular subject and and you can ask it for links or sources. And it's gotten a lot better. Um, and a lot of AI tools have the ability to even search the web live now and not just um, you know the historical 2001 or earlier database, as we all know. But 
um, depending on the tool that you're using or not. And knowing that originally AI was, you know, built to be creative, a creative tool more so than a factual tool, it's important to, to double and triple check that not just the stats and the link that are provided look good and the link works, but also that the link goes to an actual page that um, the stats are current. Sometimes they do use older stats and there's more current stats that you can in- inject. Sometimes partial quotes will be correct and not full quotes will be correct. Um, and so it's just double checking those those pieces again too. So it can, but it, it, it's a nice jumping off point either way. Like oftentimes it'll say like, this is the percent of people who believe this and maybe the percent was wrong, but the fact that it included that as the bullet was still like relevant. So just swapping in the correct stat, linking it appropriately um, can still make you a really nice piece. And you said depending on the tool you're using, is GPT-4 still the favored tool? Um, I'm actually not using GPT-4 because it wasn't available when I first started like playing around with all these tools. And now I'm paying for one that I'm happy with and I'm not ready to do you want to share it or if you don't want to share it yeah yeah it's not yeah not not sponsored by any means but um Jasper is the tool that I've been using and really enjoy um they have a lot of really fantastic features like brand voice and tone like a knowledge base where you can incorporate stats or other just like boilerplate information about your company or a particular topic that you focus on um and it can reference and pull from that very frequently. Um, I will say still across, I use free chat GPT and I, and I use writer, um, and a couple others that I still like play around with just to explore still. But, um, and how would you compare the that, quality between Jasper and the, the, the free version of chat GPT, uh, 3.5? They're, they're both, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm looking for a, a really good recipe and I'm like, Hey, I have these five ingredients in my fridge, make me something. Um, chat GPT is significantly better than Jasper, um, because it's more, yeah, based again on like, uh, historical information that Jasper is much more of a creative writing tool and a, and a more like it wants to get, it wants to match your brand voice and tone. Um, I had one other point that I was going to add there as well too. Um, oh, in the LGBTQ plus space, it's, they all kind of fail. <laughs> um, they get things like gender or sex mixed up often, which is, it's a, it's a case of, we use them interchangeably in our normal day to day and online. And so it's, it makes sense that it would get them mixed up in many cases. But when we're writing a post about gender or sexuality, it's really important to get the nuances of those words correct. Um, and that's often a problem there. It, it's it, ChatGPT is very inclusive in many ways. And Jasper uses GPT-4, I believe, on the back end as well to feed in. So I'm assuming that like I'm still getting that piece plus all the other Jasper additions. But um, it will often add like in a world where people like face discrimination we must you know come together and it adds that every single time (laughs) and so there's things like that that when you start to use tools repetitively you'll you can start to detect ai (laughs) yeah you can start to detect what's what's been written with ai or not but you can also again like help train it out or or just then keep an eye out for those things as well too Kelby, do you have a tool that you favor i've been using gpt4 uh 
a lot. Um, mostly, as I said, for less content focused stuff, but um, for more data specific things. So I have this gigantic spreadsheet, you know, I'll put it into uh, code interpreter or, or whatever it's changed its name to now and uh, have it um, read through a spreadsheet for me or screaming frog export or something like that so that I don't have to go through these rows and rows and rows of data by myself. I've found it most useful for that. As far as actual content creation, um, that's not as, as big a part of my job as uh, some of these other things are, but I know that our content department at Uproar is using uh, GPT or anybody who does have to create content for clients is using quite a lot of GPT-4 for that right now. Adelina, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, in my case, personally, personally I use ChatGPT-4, um, but I know, as Kavi, my team is using Jasper. Uh, sometimes chat GPT and we also create images to go with our, for example, blog posts. Um, so we, we have like specific um, tools for that. Mainly we are using right now our internal tools that are also external. Uh, so we have, for example, an AI image generator or a presentation maker or even AI writer on Freepik and Wibik. So we use that a lot. It's powered by, you know, other um, AI tools. And uh, I think that's mostly it. Um, I, I do want to add something uh, about the previous topic we were uh, speaking, and is that to the content, what I do is I add a structure, like an initial structure, and then I proofread. So I think it's like, you know, doing, it's just going back and forth, right? So I would just add that to my, uh, I don't know, chat GPT in this case, and then I would proofread, I would add anything I, I want. I would add probably a personal sentence, like created by me. And I think this is something that everyone should do because chat GPT is not going to give you that sentence, like probably not, <laughs> I hope not. And it's another way to make your content a little bit distinctive as well. And I'm not speaking about one or two sentences, but maybe a paragraph or a couple of them and, you know, this kind of things. So, yeah, uh, in my case, <laughs> the, the question was about the tools is ChatGPT mainly and Jasper. Um, I was expecting you to mention DALI um, with regards to image generation. Is that something you've tried? Yeah. Yeah, I've tried that like from the very beginning. I was such a geek <laughs> and uh, I loved it since day one at the beginning. And I love how it has evolved. It's it's crazy to see how, you know, uh, the first images Dali uh, gave to us, they were, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Ian's reaction. They were, scary. Yeah, they were yeah, the hands and the faces <laughs> were very, very, very scary. Genuinely really scary. Yeah. <laughs> But they're they're, um, they're getting so much better, so much so quickly, and obviously, it's it's going to be possible to integrate that as as, as part of the Chat GPT experience as well, which um, should uh, I guess radically change the way that you interact with uh, with with Chat to generate um, image um, content for your site as well. Yeah, and Mid Mid Journey is the one that I haven't also tried yet, but it's the one that had the the Pope in the puffer coat, um, and it's probably. <laughs> The best image quality that I've ever seen from an AI image generator. Mm. Um, Jasper has a, a free art tool in it as well, and um, it's very comparable to to Dolly. And it depends on what you're depends on what you're asking for about how good it is. I was mentioning food earlier. 
some certain foods uh, it does really well with. It doesn't do well with like sliced strawberries, but it does fantastically with whole strawberries, for example. <laughs> um, but it's all it's it's yeah, it comes down again, I think, to like understanding the prompts, understanding the limitations, understanding where um, these tools have their strengths and weaknesses and, and leaning into those. But you don't get that until you start to actually like Adelina was saying, and like everybody on this call, I'm sure like really dive in and like immerse yourself into it. You can't just open the box and run and hope that it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Mid journey is the one I've played with the most. Um, they have a, a discord that you can use to play around with it. And it's, um, it's very interactive and very impressive. I would say, uh, it's paid at least if you want to use it very much. I, I'm not sure what the free version will get you, but, um, it's I've used it not for work so much, but for personal projects and that sort of thing. And it's it's pretty great at uh, mimicking different art styles, especially. So if you say, I want this to look like a 1950s movie poster, it can generate that type of image for you and have it look genuinely different from, you know, I want it to look like a 2010s movie poster or something like that. So, yeah, I've been really impressed with that for um creating original art so in a moment i'm gonna ask everyone sorry ian jump in uh, i was gonna say i also wanted to to shout out kavi's comment on the code and the spreadsheets too because um that's something i haven't done a ton of but when i have needed to um you know check schema in the past or get help with creating a, a a template for certain um types of structured data or even just debugging like we had a little interactive content tool um, putting that code into ChatGPT, um, not Jasper in this case, was really helpful, even with just GPT uh, 3.5, um, did a great job. And I actually ended up learning a lot more about schema in that example than I, than I had ever learned reading blogs or watching videos because I was actually able to ask some of the really specific questions that I have had about schema and then double fact check them afterward to be like, okay, this answer that I've never gotten when I've talked to my other SEO counterparts, like I've actually got. <laughs> um, and it's been really great for that. It is life changing when it comes to writing schema and that sort of thing. I mean, I, nobody likes writing their own structured data. <laughs> it's, uh, it has saved hours of work and trying to figure out where I'm missing a comma or whatever it is. It, it does that for you instantly. It's perfect. So I'd like to it get everyone's thoughts. Adelina, sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this is it. going to be the end. But it, right. it has helped me so much with regular expressions. Like, I don't know if you had, like, my mind was blocked when I had to create anything regarding that topic. It was just like, I don't know what this is about. But then uh, what helped me is what Ian said. I could actually ask very specific questions. It's like having a tutor for yourself. It's great in that in that sense. So this is my thought at the very beginning, saying to everyone, jump in, jump in, you know, don't be shy, jump in. I'm I'm trying to ask a question, but I'm not allowed to ask a question because the panel were sharing such wonderful information, but that's good. Don't worry about it. I just want to give everyone the heads up that um, the next question that I'll ask will be, um, right, okay, what does this all mean for planning your content? Can you actually plan your content for the for the next year or do you actually try and reduce the amount of time that you, you have in your 
content plan, your content um, marketing strategy, if you want to create one at the beginning of the year? And if so, what do you incorporate in that from an AI perspective? How do you use AI? How do you ensure that EAT is incorporated? But while you're thinking about that, um, I just want to bring Ed in again for a second. Ed, do you have any other tool that you use yourself or uh, even a, a tool that's already been talked about, how, how you go about using it? Uh, primarily, it's ChatGPT. Um, I use it for everything in regards to generating content, summarizing content. Um, it's super handy for creating like formulas and scripts as well uh, for any time you're sort of really deep diving into data. It just sort of speeds up that process and really takes the, the sort of thinking out of it for you. And as um, Kavi said, it can speed everything up and that's valuable time that you get back to sort of sink into other things as well. Okay, well, we're talking about Kavi. Let's go back to Kavi. To so Kavi, what, what are your thoughts on how you can use all this incredible ability that we've gained over the last year or so with chat gpt and other uh, ai tools um to create a, a content marketing strategy ha- has it changed the way that you would actually go about creating a content marketing strategy uh yes definitely <laughs> and i think it's um i think the answer to this question is the same as anything else involving ai and especially you know working with chat gpt that sort of thing it's always, yes, you can use it for this, but you need to be flexible. Um, yes, you can use it for this, but you need human input still. So uh, we've got some clients that are you know, definitely not your money, your life clients, more um, uh, on the casual end of content, I guess, nothing that's going to change anybody's life, but you know, um, needing a content strategy nonetheless. And we've created full content strategies for some of these clients just by feeding into uh, GPT, you know, here are uh, the pieces or the keyword gaps that we really want to cover over the next year, or here's the competitive content that we really need to create over the next year. Help us create a strategy um, by laying out, uh, you know, a schedule and um, we want to publish this many times per month or whatever. And, you know, it'll create that outline for us. Those are great and they definitely work, but it requires still that human uh, governance and uh, human flexibility to say, okay, well, now the client has come back and said, um, we've got this event coming up. We need to make sure that we cover this piece earlier. So still being able to feed in different different inputs and and tweak the strategy that's been spit out to you. Um, But yeah, I think it can, as with most things, it can at least help you create an outline, generate ideas, and get your brain going where you might have been stuck before. Adelina, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I fully agree with what Kavi said. Um, I just want to add something, and it's that also, uh, besides you know the client coming back and asking for specific questions or specific things, uh, you also need to take into consideration maybe the freshness freshness of the content you are going to write because maybe you had something in your mind, but then all of a sudden it happened with the AI. We had a content um, uh, planning for the whole year, but then AI came and struck and we were just like, okay, so we have to create content regarding this, this topic. Uh, or I don't know, another topic. It really depends on the client, right? In my case, that worked. Um and it's, it's like the real world is going to keep moving. So we have to adapt to what is going on right now to just give, you know, the fresh content and uh, high quality con- content. I think that's a very, um, I, I don't know, like very big part of what quality co- content means. 
So Ed, does this mean that there has to be two streams of content that you have as part of a content marketing strategy? You've got one that's a little bit more evergreen and doesn't necessarily rely on reacting to things, and the other that um, is more open and um, able to adapt to new technology and also obviously news in relation to your industry. Absolutely. I mean, every great content marketing strategy is both proactive and reactive. Um, Obviously, you want to get in front of trends before they happen, but that's not always possible. I think the big thing that AI um, has sort of shown is that if you're not using it, other people will be. So it's all about how you integrate it into your strategies and into your processes that is the real sort of um, imperative and also the real success for any sort of campaign that will really progress. And what I mean by that is like how you actually choose to display this content, how transparent you are with it. Like, do you own the fact that you're producing and using AI content on your website? Or do you still hide behind the idea that, oh, no, everything here is written by humans, even though machine learning over time will pick up on trends in content that, well, this article has the similar phrase into 30 other pages. And then it, it very much becomes AI against machine learning how you differentiate it, but then also how you position it and own it on your your own website or your client's website that really is sort of the, the big difference maker. Brilliant. Okay, and I'm going to ask um, Ian's thoughts just in a second there, but I just want to highlight that um, the last question will be one key takeaway. So um, all of you can have a think about one key takeaway take from today's discussion to leave the listener with. But Ian, in relation to your content marketing strategy, how has AI and um, the, the the rapid involvement of, of what we're seeing at the moment um, impacted how you view a content marketing strategy? Yeah, I think AI is fantastic for the foundational pieces. I think it's great for coming up with, you know, a high level strategy in many ways. It can be useful for that. It can be useful for writing general like educational content about topics that are very well covered that help then build your site expertise or authority in a particular area um, where I think that it falls short and where um, I always talked about this with our writing team here at our uh, um, at our media company. They're not going to lose their jobs. We're covering the news. We're a publisher, so we have to be on the front lines getting all that new information. AI can't learn without new content. And if all of the new content is also produced by AI, it's just going to be learning off of itself, and then it's going to create this really negative spiral of you know just like the sameness. Um, and so I think it's really important that writers understand that and that they might know that there's more of an editorial factor that comes into play in their career in the future if they're going to be using these tools, um, knowing you know those best practices and getting a little bit more out of their comfort zone of just writing content to write content because now we, as we've covered very well, like AI can do that. Um, and so for me and our strategy and the way that I think about it with myself and my clients um, and at work is using AI to do the easy stuff, I guess, if, for lack of better words, and then allowing our team, our writers, myself, whoever else, to go and do the exciting stuff on on top of that. Like if you can use AI to write the base of a, of a post about a particular topic, the writers can then do a really great interview with somebody and spend the time actually like getting a video call, getting some unique quotes, adding something more to it than just the text. We can spend time as content marketers creating a really cool graphic to go along with the 
information that was provided to share on social and kind of tying it all in together instead of it just being, you know, that, that AI piece. And so I think it's helped me in that sense, just get a lot more multimedia focused and even just thinking about how can I make this so that, you know, SGE isn't just going to repeat what I'm saying because I'm repeating what AI is saying and AI is feeding what SGE is saying. Um, like, like it's still good to have that content on your site though to demonstrate that expertise, to demonstrate your authority, to draw the dots together. Um, but then, you know, using the human piece to really push the boundaries outside of that. Great advice. Okay, well, let's finish off by getting everyone to share that one key takeaway. And then at the same time, just getting you to remind the listener who you are, where you're from and where people can find you online. So, Calvi. Okay, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> so uh, before I give my takeaway, so I don't forget this part, I'm Kavi Cardos, uh, Director of SEO at Uproar. You can find us at uproar.com. It's U-P-R-O-E-R. Um, and I'm uh, the rare boss everywhere on social media, T-H-E-R-A-R-E-V-O-S, and on LinkedIn. Um, so I think my takeaway is uh, something that Ed hit on earlier Um AI is not going anywhere. <laughs> and uh, if you're not using it, someone else is going to and will do whatever you're trying to do faster than you can. So especially when you work on the agency side, like we do, um, time is money, you know, so it's help having it save you time uh, is vital at this point. If you're not doing it, your competitors definitely are. Um, so I think it's just a matter of whether you're going to be using AI in-house or choosing an agency based on how they're using it or something like that. Understanding that it needs to be used, but it needs to be governed by humans appropriately. Um, and striking that balance is, I think, the most important part. Great advice. If you're not using it, you can't stick your head in the sand and pretend that no one in your industry is using exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. And um, Adelina, um, what's your key takeaway? Yeah. So my name is Adelina Bordea. I'm an SEO team lead at Freebie Company. And also I'm a freelancer as an SEO and copywriter and uh, an AI enthusiast. That's why I'm here as well. Um, so my key idea is... In order to achieve high quality content, learn how to create high quality prompts, because this is what is going to give you the answer uh, you are looking for. Uh, make sure you work uh, with good professionals that can uh, proofread everything. But the starting point is to actually have a good prompt uh, or good prompting, very good prompting skills that are going to help you make your job easier. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Adelina. Ed? I'm Ed Zabrinsky uh, from sweepfunding.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. It is a bit of a mouthful, my surname, so no worries if you don't spell it right first time. Um, my biggest takeaway when it comes to AI and EAT especially is don't hide away from the fact that you're using AI. You can use AI for 90% of it all, but also have that final 10% that is the real quality difference maker which is that human involvement, whether it's reviewing content, um, signing off on it, regularly updating it, and ultimately just attributing yourself to it to say, I vouch for this piece of content, um, is the real difference maker between someone that's using AI to pump a thousand articles out a week and a website that or an agency that's using AI effectively to further their own campaign or their client's campaign. And ultimately, that is what will separate them from uh, competition. Superb. Thanks for joining us, Ed. And also with us was Ian. Amazing. Yes, I'm Ian Holmes. I'm the Director of Growth Marketing at Q Digital. 
You can find me across all social media at Ian Helms. Um, and you can find Q Digital properties at queerd.com, lgbtqnation.com, into more.com, and gaycities.com. Um, and my advice is that um, I would say AI isn't coming for your job per se, but people who are using AI are. And so if you don't get your hands on AI tools, even the free ones and start playing around with it and learning how you can use it to make your day more efficient, you're going to, you're going to fall behind, which is both sort of the advice that was given about companies that aren't using it. But also I think from a personal and career development perspective, it's important to recognize that as well. So AI isn't coming for your job, but someone else's. <laughs> is that for people to feel someone good? Yeah. Someone else who's using AI is coming for your job, maybe. <laughs> Super. Well, thanks for joining us again. I've been your host, David Bain. You've been listening to the Majestic SEO panel. If you would like to join us live next time, sign up at majestic.com slash webinars. And of course, check out our other series at seoin2023.com. Until then, bye-bye for now.